Hello and welcome back to Fitness or Fiction. On today's episode, we are talking about training for longevity in our fantastically comfortable computer chairs. Yeah, you know, ever-changing locale. Cue the intro. Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. So, we're going to get into training for longevity. I believe you broke this down into five key points. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, you got to th- have things to talk about. So essentially training for longevity, the, the whole topic of training for longevity has become something, I like to call this the global equalizer because at some point it's kind of the basement where everybody's going to return to. It's like, well, I'd like performance or I'd like um, strength or which is performance or I'd like um, cardiovascular fitness or I'd like, you know, all of these other things. I'd like to move better. You know, I want, I want a six pack yeah. aesthetics, like all of these different goals, but what what it really all boils down to in the end is I want to be able to live my life unfettered. Mm-hmm. I like to call it physical freedom in my, in my brand with how movement Academy, I often talk about uh, realizing, attaining and regaining your physical freedom. And for a lot of people, physical freedom can be random. So somebody who's afraid to take off their shirt at the beach, that could be a lack of physical freedom. Whereas yeah. somebody who can't bend down to put on their darn shoes, or I've had a client before that couldn't, cut her own toenails. She couldn't access her feet. Um, a client who hadn't slept for 18 years for a full night because of neck pain at that point, that's when it becomes the global equalizer. Like everything comes back to, I just want to be able to live my life without this. Mm -hmm. So the whole training for longevity thing, it's like, well, how can I live my life without being held back by something and, and age gracefully, basically. And everyone probably is coming at it from a different angle because everyone's in a different walk of life in their fitness. It's one of those things too, that, um, you start wanting to train for longevity once you start losing it. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, you don't realize how big the little things are until you can't do them. And it's like going, uh, taking steps backwards or downwards. Like if you continuously walking backwards, eventually the journey forwards is going to be twice as hard because you have to make up the lost ground and then add on top of it afterwards. That's right. And when you look at fitness trends for I found a bunch of lists of fitness trends for the new year, I always look at it and you're starting to see training for longevity, training for mental health, things like this. So The idea of training for longevity is a really important thing to discuss. And and we broke this down into five different pillars or or concepts. You remember when uh, we did our episode on the liver king? Yeah. Joe Rogan, he was talking. He's like, you know, the Dwayne, the rock Johnson is training for longevity too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's training for Jack levity, you know, (laughs) just super, super Jack. Oh dude. But that's not necessarily, there's some parts of that that actually are really going to help him with longevity. It's like, more muscle mass is actually a good thing in a lot of ways but um i don't want to i like the rock he's such a nice he's got such good juju he does he's he's uh, such a positive dude yeah he's pretty i I like him too i don't want to talk trash about him i like him i also though i like uh appreciate honesty (laughs) yeah well i (laughs) think fair Ooh, burn that's a deep one the rock would kill me but uh yeah. yeah, I do appreciate honesty in this industry because I think it's something that people... But this is a whole thing about the liver king all over again. Yeah, let's not longevity. do that. Let's not do that. Longevity training. We're basically talking about a few different things. We 
we can have a discussion about which one of these takes precedence. So we can go over all five and then we'll discuss them. There's this overarching concept that we'll talk about with aesthetics. I think we should actually start there in some ways. Okay. Because aesthetics for me, aesthetics is, uh, do you look the way you want to look essentially? What, what percentage of your clientele when you first meet them, aesthetics and the way they look is a primary driver? You know, we've done so many consultations when we're at like old, like our old gyms and 10, 12, 15 years in the industry. I think 50% of people come in with the outright aesthetic goal of, I would like to build muscle or lose weight. And the people who don't admit it, I feel like they just don't want to admit it because they, they say it in fluffier terms. Like, I don't want to lose weight, but I would like to tone which well, is the absence of body fat and increase of muscle. And more shape, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, how many, so you say 50% will outright say it, then there's a bunch that dance around it, and even the ones that don't even dance around it and say, I just want to be healthy, when you add up all of them, what, what would you say the percentage of people that a primary driver is aesthetic? What would that be for you? I think over 80%. I agree, Absolutely. I, I actually think that would swing into the 90% ranges. Like for me, I've had clients in their late 70s that are like, I trained a, a female who's in her late 70s. She was 108 pounds and she would grab what little fat she had on her tummy and be like, well, I'd like to have this go away. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, you are, you're killing it. You're in your late 70s. You can still do a full overhead squat. Um, you're out playing tennis. You've got so much stuff together. Why is, like, why is that a priority? And I think it's a priority because of the way she feels about it more than anything, which is fine. It's it's hers to to choose, but that just kind of drives home for me how prevalent the drive to exercise due to the way it makes you look and probably feel because of that is. I feel like the ones who don't outrightly ask for aesthetics as well normally have a pretty decent semblance of aesthetics like they're already pretty happy with the way they look but now they're either have like an injury that they're trying to overcome or they have some performance that they'd like to increase but like in regards to i want to look jacked or i want to look cute they've already kind of got it on lock so they're not going to say they need it i would say by far and away most people that's how they get involved like for you when you first got involved in fitness what was it about oh it was definitely insecurities that got me like working out and training that was like from childhood though being like bullied being smaller and skinnier getting into martial arts learning to fight fighting back but it wasn't enough so i tried to put on some muscle get stronger get meaner like all those things which i told people like it never really worked the way you want it to because those who are hating on you are going to hate regardless whether you're winning or losing well and for me like when somebody says i just want a six-pack i'm like but you're probably not going to feel that different when you have a six-pack no you know, so it's not something that I get really enthused about training. You're like, oh, you can get that six pack. You can have big impacts. I'm not trying to crap on that at all. But like when you give somebody their life back and their function back, it, it just, it strikes me just from my own place where I'm coming from. It seems more meaningful to me. But having said that, the place that I started out at with exercise was I just wanted to be bigger. And I was very small. Like I was going into grade 10, I wasn't five feet tall yet and I was playing pretty high level sports. So for me, I had to work really hard to keep up. So I was like, I need to get stronger and get some size to me. And that's why I started. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a pretty common story. 
I think I tell a lot of people when I actually have like goal setting with them and such things like that, I actually tell them that, you know, I'm okay with an aesthetic goal, but I'm looking for some sort of performance-based goal as well, because generally you can hit the performance-based goals a little bit quicker and the aesthetics always come the slowest. But if you consistently set performance-based goals and keep hitting them and staying consistent, the aesthetics will normally come along naturally. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Like it's, it's an umbrella that's so funny because training, like you're looking for aesthetics can really help somebody in a strength sport or a performance sport as well. It really can. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm not trying to crap on it at all. I'm just saying that it it actually takes a huge piece of the pie here, whether or not I've had people that have heart issues. They're like, well, man, I just, I just don't want to be so fat anymore. I'm like, so yeah. the way that people feel about the way that they look is actually a primary driver. And I don't think that should be run away from necessarily. Well, we are talking about, so like the five, the five keys we have is aesthetics. Well, and you know, is that a, is that a primary key? I think if it's a driver to get them to, to get involved with exercise, it can be a primary key. So I would, I would argue it is. Well, one of the primary keys was mental health and aesthetics can go hand in hand with mental health because if you look good and you feel good, you're going to stand up straighter. You're going to promote better energy isn't it cool when you watch somebody's posture change and you can just tell that they feel better about themselves? Yeah. I had a, one of my clients in here this morning and when I first met him, it was just after COVID and he had put on some weight and I, I was just meeting him. I didn't know him. Um, but he, he seemed like pretty, pretty kind of down on himself. Like he didn't seem super, super confident when I met him. Yeah. And that could have been, I was just meeting him. It could have been whatever, but I saw him today and he was, he was working out with two other people. And the, one of the guys that he was working out with, um, was doing some sled pushes with him and he outdid him pretty significantly. And just the way he carried himself down the track, he's a young dude. And you can see like, it's a very similar thing to watching my four-year-old. We come down the entire hill at COP. I've got him on a TRX and he's laying down his corners. He didn't wipe out at all. And you just, he carries himself different. Like you yeah. can tell it means something more than what it is. Yeah. It, it's proving to him that he can, he can do something that he's capable. He's good enough. Yeah. And, and that is exciting. Mm-hmm. Like that piece is really exciting. So when we talk about mental health, there's a few different zones in here. And one of the things that I really don't like is when people say, well, exercise isn't mental health. I'm like, well, yeah, it is like, it actually has impacts on the physiological size of your, um, your hypothalamus and also your frontal lobe. It hypertrophies both. Changes all of the primary neurochemicals. Um, is it doing the hard work of seeing a therapist? No, it's not therapy. That's not what we're claiming here at all. Yeah. But you can set the chemical foundation to feel your best. And if you are seeing a therapist and you're doing consistent exercise above 65, 70% of your uh, heart rate, um, you're actually going to have that work be more valuable because of the, the physical exertion that you're putting in. So I think for longevity training, if you were to look at somebody and say, hey, would it be valuable if you felt the best that you're capable of feeling today? I don't think there's anybody that would say no. Yeah. So when we talk about mental health, like, you you brought up an interesting thing when we did we did our pregame here. You were saying um, there's people that exercise actually doesn't make them feel any better mm-hmm. because they actually aren't putting in enough recovery work as far as sleep and other lifestyle things like diet and whatever. Yeah, um, that they actually can't recover well, so they actually feel worse when they exercise. 
Yeah, and that's a small percentage of people. But like I said, like maybe 10% of the people I've worked with, they've definitely complained that like the exercise drains them. They don't feel better after the fact, even if like I'm dialing it back and taking it easy on them like we discussed. Like I'm not trying to just murder every single client I work with. So if I try to like meet them at their level, they still just... Most people we work with normally walk out of the gym feeling better. And that was my goal. Like when I used to mentor trainers, I was like, your job as a trainer is every client that leaves the gym after they see you should be leaving on a cloud. They should be going home feeling better, more energy, happier, all of the above. Like they just worked a job they dislike and uh, they're tired, they're beat up. You need to make them feel better. And those people who don't feel better, I think it's because they're not uh, doing the things on the lifestyle side, like eating better food and getting proper sleep and better stress management. And that's, that's where the coaching comes in. Like for those particular people, if they're not willing to do that, sometimes um, for them, just getting into a walk, like they might not be able to recover tissues yet from doing uh, some really challenging muscular work, but they could probably recover from like a, a walk and maybe start with like 10 minutes, maybe a whole hour is too much for them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as far as longevity training, this is a, a key indicator. Like is your body, a, does it have the ability to recover? And are you giving it the tools to recover? And, and when we talk about mental health, for me, can your body handle stress and recover from said stress is a very, these are very important questions um, because exercise is stress. Mental Going exertion is, is stress. stress. Yeah. And it's like, well, if I can't recover from exercise, how am I recovering from my other stressors? Yeah. So I think it's a, a really important thing to get on top of. And I would actually call that the, the kind of, primary entry point for longevity training like for you how does how does exercise impact your mental health like how how do you recognize what it does for you i definitely get more energy at the end of a workout i definitely feel more confident and stand up straighter at the end of a workout um and that's probably like at least 75 percent or more of my workouts 25 percent of the time i think i'm just trying to survive them just trying to like get through them and that's when they're more grindy that's maybe when i'm not quite as recovered, not like quite as well fed and things like that. But 75% of the time, they always make me feel better. I find that I'm more present, less stressed. So with my new son, Jackson, like I'm after a workout, I'm more present with him. I'm more engaged with him and I'm able to be more patient with him and See more that, empathetic to the changes that he's going through. That word for me, patience, that's a big one. Like for my kids, when, I, when I'm not a exercising the amount of patience that I want to have with them, uh, it is so hard on me. I just feel so bad. Yeah. And yesterday I was first thing in the morning, wasn't feeling great at all. I was feeling kind of stressed out. I didn't have a great sleep. I was, I would wake up and I was thinking about work and things like this. And that's not normal for me, but my whole family had COVID over Christmas. So I hadn't been exercising for a while and whatever. And I did a really solid workout. Um, and it was not a workout where I'd leave being like bouncing on air. I'm like dragging my leg. I was I was beat up. It was a big workout. Yeah. But man, did I feel better that night? I yeah. found my general state of goofiness had restored. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something I know that there's something off with me when my energy level is normally doesn't leave you that much. Yeah. Like if I don't have my goofiness, I know that there's something going on. Joe Rogan actually has a lot of good motivational pep talks on YouTube. If you just search Joe Rogan motivation, he talks about that. And a little bit of it is He's like, if you do something that's so stressful, like a really brutally hard workout, and a lot of people don't even do that. We're talking about just general workouts. But if you do something super challenging and it's the hardest part of your day, then all the other stressors throughout the Absolutely. day 
become easier relatively on the scale because you just put your body like if you just went through a hard workout like strength and conditioning it's like you just fought a bear and won because you survived and you came out of it and you have all the good hormones and endorphins running through you that the rest of the stressors through the day are not that big of a deal like being 20 minutes late for the family dinner is kind of like ah, you know it is what it is instead of getting all worked up about it yeah and well that's why people talk about eating the frog first right you yeah. get the workout done first because everything else is easier i'm i'm totally behind that like i literally left the workout yesterday feeling like a happier person and it was a grueling workout like it was a tough one but man did i feel better afterwards you know what's got me i've been doing uh, high intensity cardio on my rower 30 Oof. seconds on 30 seconds off uh eight rounds by round four i'm like do I really need to do eight rounds? <laughs> like, do I really need to? Like, I'm already getting my ass whooped. But by the time I'm finished that eighth round and I step off of it and I walk away, I'm like, oh, man, like, I got through it. Because it's not, it's not something I wanted to do or I enjoyed doing, but I felt like it was necessary. It's necessary for my goals right now or for my longevity needs. You prove to yourself that you can do it. And I think that's heavily underestimated in exercise and that's still one of those things you know i like i think people's mindset when they go into that because you know me and you are human too so round four i was like oh man maybe i should only do six rounds and then like the fifth round i'm like survive this one i'm on the sixth round i'm like okay only two more and on those only like those last two rounds i pulled harder on those last two rounds because i'm like man it's home stretch now like let's go hard like get everything that internal monologue is so important for resilience man like early on in my lifting career, that was the most important thing. I was hiding that I was working out. It was only body weight because I didn't have anything. I was in, it was grade nine um, doing, I worked up to 150 pushups. And I remember getting to 20 and being like, this sucks. And then be like, okay, only 130 left. Oh, that's a big number. I'm going to get 10. Okay, nice. Uh, we'll call it 120 left. Let's just get to the next 10. And like these, these little negotiations with yourself and things that you're overcoming and, and strategizing just to get to the next rep and realizing there's more there, that, that sort of thing, it, it shows you the kind of character you have yeah. and proves to yourself that you can overcome things that aren't easy. Yeah. I think it's super important. I get uh, greasy with those on like my weighted chin-ups. My chin-ups are actually probably one of my strongest attributes of my performance, but I, it's because I hate them so much that I train them really, really hard because I found chin-ups back in the day were super, super hard, but uh, I thought they were like, oh, one of the best things to develop like a nice strong back. And now when I do weighted chin-ups, if I'm only shooting for five and I have like a hundred pounds on the belt, I'm like the negotiation that you're talking about. I'm like, could I do one more like gun to my head? And then I try to grind that one more out. And then I come back down to the bottom and my same question, could, oh, yeah. could I probably do one more? And I like sit there and grind and fight for those chin-ups just because I remember that it was really debilitating to go into the gym and not be able to do 10 chin-ups or like struggle to do five. And you actually see a lot of people won't do chin-ups because they're so challenging. Yeah. It, I really do think that as far as longevity training, you might not need something as aggressive as a pull-up, but like when you're, when you prove to yourself that you can step forward, even if you've taken some steps back, if you've proven that you can still take a step forward, it lets you know the game isn't over. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that is a really important thing. I hate it when I have people that either A, have a condition or B, are um, a little bit more experienced than some people. Um, and they're like, well, I'm 64 years old. I can't do that. I'm like, it's a weird thing. Like, why don't you see what you can do instead of telling me what you can't? Yeah. So I, I really do think the mental health side of things, it's going to make you feel more positive um, in most cases. It's going to 
allow you to work through some things and see what sort of resilience you have today. It's going to show you that there's still some upside coming. It's it's going to set the stage for allowing you to to express what you're capable of right now, which is it's so important. I actually think that that's the first one to talk about for sure. Yeah. For me, another, like, if we're just beating the dead horse with this, like, the mental health thing, too, is, like, for me, a lot of it, I think for you as well, is, like, setting the example for my children. Like, setting the example for my son to show him that, like, yeah, dad's strong, but dad struggles on all this stuff, too. And, like, when you start doing stuff and it's hard, like, you've seen dad struggle but persevere and, like, keep grinding even though it's hard. Like, that's, like, part of setting the example of... Yeah, I think one of the most valuable things about the gym is you get the most you get the most positive out of failing. There's not many places like that and there's actually more than you'd think, but it sets the example early on that like working to what you can do right now and failing to go further, it sets the stage for the next step. Mm-hmm. So I've mentioned skiing a couple times with my kids and watching their development, the the process of them learning, realizing what they can do, challenging themselves, wiping out, getting back up and trying even though they're scared. All of these things are huge and we can we can teach this in a safer environment, which is the gym. Yeah. So I actually do think for mental health it's huge as you as you age, making sure that you can be the best version of yourself, even if we're not even focused on what the aesthetic or strength outcomes are, but just getting through that workout and proving what you accomplished that day. It can be huge. Yeah. So. Has your mental chatter ever changed in your workouts? Like for me, I've, I, th- I don't know if I mentioned it on the, our podcast, but like when I was younger, before we met, my mental health, like my mental chatter used to be like berating myself and beating myself up, like calling myself names and like training because I wasn't good enough and going harder because I wasn't good enough and because everyone was bigger and stronger than me. And then I reached a point, like I talked to my wife about this, like my strongest was probably when I was working with you and uh, we were at Sunridge and strongest being like, you know, I was probably deadlifting. I think 465 was my biggest deadlift and like everything, everything was very strong overall. Um, And my mental chatter at that point, I kind of realized changed significantly. It was no longer like I wasn't like doing heavy lifts or doing challenging things, berating myself about it. It became more play and fun and like walking up to a challenging movement was like, man, this is what we do. Like, Oh, I'm going to do this because this is fun. Like I want to give this my go to work. Yeah. I'm about to go to work. Like have fun rather than beat the crap out of myself and it actually makes me feel a little emotional because if i really truly remember berating myself it's kind of it's kind of sad like how much i used to mentally abuse myself like i didn't need bullies to tell me that i was weak or small or skinny because i did it to myself more than anyone else would they were never as hard on you as you were on yourself i don't think that's just you well i just mean like everyone in general right yeah no, I'm I'm saying like that's I don't think that's unique to you at all. I think it's tough for sure, especially and, being honest with that. But and I say that though, like hoping that people, if anyone's listening to this, they gain some awareness on that, so they can maybe start second like guessing their own mental chatter during their workouts because it's not that aspect of mental health is not healthy if you're just training to talk shit to yourself or abuse yourself. Yeah, you know, for me, when you talk about changing. Um, I've always been an optimist. I've always been pretty positive. Um, always really hard on myself and wanting to push further, almost to a fault. But, you know, I've had to change my own mental chatter because I can't do stuff that I used to be able to do right now. Yeah. And 
those two words at the end are super important, I think. I don't like to hear I can't from people, but if you were to say, Curtis, hey, what's your best lift on X or Y? Most of them are not what they were. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff I'm dealing with as far as neurodegeneration that there's that's going to impact things a little bit. But I haven't given up hope that I can get back to some sort of semblance of performance on that. But it is really hard when you're picking up something that's like 50% of what you could do at one point yeah. and be fully engaged and fully excited to do that. Yeah. So for me, a lot of a lot of what's changed isn't my approach towards, you know, this is well, let's go to work. That's been kind of how I was and yeah. how I am. But the big change for me is like, it's okay. The goal today is to do better. It's not to be the best I ever was today. It's to do better and prove that I can still make progress. And that's, yeah. that's super important for my game. Yeah. So your mental chatter has kind of changed over the past three, four years. Yeah. Especially since 2014. Yeah. It's been a big change, but giving yourself permission to perform where you're at today and still striving to to be better i think is a really challenging but important balance to strike yeah especially as you get past um like 35 years old and you start like you're starting to get into the range where continuing to progress to what you were doing before you had all the extra things in your life and extra responsibilities and time calls are you saying that because i'm 34 yeah, just wait till you turn thirty. No, you're done. <laughs> right around thirty-five, your connective tissue actually does change pretty significantly. There are some positives that come from that. Like when you bulge a disc, it actually can recover faster because they're more fibrous. But um, your connective tissues do change pretty significantly around that time. But people that are over thirty-five, they also tend to have a lot more on their plate. You know, usually by that point, you've got a family, you've got a house, you've got like all of this stuff. It's so harder. it's like you can't just focus on work and exercise anymore you have responsibilities even recovery to that point like uh, my recovery is my mental recovery is harder because i have less me time with uh, jackson's only three months old three and a half months old i can't just uh uh, there's never really a point where i get a complete shutdown like before jackson i could have just shut down completely you might have forgot what that feels like because it's been a hot minute for you but Mm -hmm. uh been a while it's been a couple years but yeah there's like a difference in before it's like if i need to shut down for a friday night i could just play video games all night and just shut down and chill and relax and now jackson either needs attention or he's awake or he's napping and he's going to be awake soon like it's like having one eye open you gotta you gotta see what's going on and for me like i often say having kids and animals is is challenging because animals are a little bit of responsibility kids are more but the two of them together is Oh, it's a matzo ball. When not, when we had three dogs at our house and we had two kids, I was kind of getting to the point like, man, I just can't give these dogs much more. Like I, yeah. I don't have much left. So now, like after our dogs passed away, I was like, I don't think that we need dogs right now. We got enough. Like yeah. we got three kids. That's that's enough. Very so hard. that's kind of where we'll stick. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, to kind of refocus back in, the mental health thing exercise is not a replacement for a therapist at all and i think a lot of people need to to realize that sometimes you just need someone to talk to mm. um it, it shouldn't be a crutch that you lean on instead of going to to talk things out and do some of the work that's required but it is something that's going to optimize where you're at so especially if you're putting in the work that you need to outside of that it can be a big deal i like and, yeah i like the fact of like 
optimizing like especially that chemical imbalance like in the body like if you work out and then talk to your therapist or yeah. if you're exercising and then talking to your therapist kind of like i told you that documentary on netflix stuts yeah. is about jonah hill's therapist yeah. and he's like i won't work with somebody unless they're actually willing to exercise you don't need to be exercising currently but if you're going to chat with me like you need to be open to the idea of trying to do some exercise if you can't recover and you aren't chemically primed to to take in what he's giving you. I understand where he's coming from. Like I, I said to the, the chair of psychology at U of A, I said straight to him, I was like, yeah, the work you do is fantastic. And I, I love that you're educating people to come out and, you know, work through what people are, are dealing with and meet them where they're at and whatever else. But I will tell you straight up front, what you do is optimized by somebody exercising, period. If you do the exact same work with somebody who's not exercising and that same person was to exercise, you would have a better outcome. I could even remember times with you, not truly specific times, but like, you know, you were managing me um, back in the day, like you were the boss. And I, I could recall coming to you like the world's ending around me, like, oh, Curtis, the world is falling apart. And you could be like, well, let's do a little workout first and then we'll go get some food and chat. And we do a workout and it goes from the world's falling apart to ah, things just suck a little bit right now which yeah. was a hop, skip, and a jump better than the world's falling apart. It wasn't like everything's awesome, but at least that little kick and boost So when we had a conversation about what the actual problem was, we could have a more constructive conversation because I wasn't in everything's on fire mode anymore. Yeah, it just gets you out of that kind of alarm stay, right? Mm. So it's an important place to be, but when we start talking about mental health, it's a big matzo ball. We can probably continue to talk about this another time and we'll actually probably break this one up into a few episodes. Yeah. Um, but you know, to start out this conversation, you know, most people start exercise with the idea of aesthetics in mind. And then once they kind of walk through that first door, they're going to start seeing that there's a lot more that it can give you other than what they thought, which is just less fat, more muscle or shape. They like to say whatever, um, looking better in general. Once they start realizing, oh, wait a second, I can deal with this issue that I've had with my shoulder or knee for ages. I can, I can take control of my own um, mental health, the way that I feel. Um, I can feel a little bit better and that allows me to go and do the other work. Um, I, can, I can do things that allow me to live my life and do the activities I like to do easier. Um, I think that's a really important impasse for people to walk through and just have that open up. In our next episode, we should probably talk about the other, the other pieces of the puzzle. And you know, the we I alluded to it. We have mental health. We're also going to have um, cardiovascular fitness. And then we'll talk a little bit about the concept of um, performance and how that fits in. And we've already talked a little bit about the aesthetics realm. Am I missing? Oh, mechanical, mechanical, mechanical yeah. So mechanical, the ability to kind of have your joints go through a range and have strength in those those uh, outer ranges and, and whatever. But um, each one of those will be a fun conversation because with that lens of longevity, it it changes what your intentionality is behind your goal. Mm -hmm. And that's I think it's a really important conversation to have. So if we wrap this one up, we really dug into the mental health, I think. We could dig into it a hell of a lot more, but we'll leave it where we did. It's a good start. Mental health and aesthetics. Same thing with aesthetics because there's a lot of people that feel that aesthetics can be a negative impact on your mental health if you get too OCD or body dysmorphia about it. Like, I forever feel skinny. 
regardless of how much muscle I've put on. But again, that's, that's one that we got to talk about some research on though, too, because people would think that it's dysfunctional to count your macros. But, uh, a lot of the studies that they've done on that is that people actually, their mental health improves because they know where they're at and they know what they need to do. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one we'll dig into for sure. But the other, the other three that we got to deal with. Yeah. Aesthetics, mental health down next episode, we'll get into mechanical performance and cardiovascular. Exactly. All the fun little gibbets of exercise. (laughs) A gibbet. Gibbet. That's a unit of measurement. It's it's probably on a scale you never heard of. If you learn nothing else today, look up the gibbet unit of measurement. Yeah. It's like a jiffy. A gibbet. Well, thanks for joining us for a gibbet. We had a good little jibber jabber. Um, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll see you next episode. If you'd like to jump below and just throw us a, a like, a follow, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time we go. Peace. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.